Good evening, brothers and sisters. Good evening. <laughs> it's a blessing and a privilege to get to be here with you all and to worship our God. If you would open your Bibles with me, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Let's hear the Word of God. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the Gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Let's pray. Oh great God, we thank You so much for Your Word. This Word that You have breathed out of Your very mouth. And we pray now that You would speak to us by it. That You would take Your Word and that You would come by Your Holy Spirit, and apply it powerfully to each of our hearts. Lord, we confess that our hearts are dull and slow to respond to Your truth. And so we pray that You would quicken us by Your grace and that You would move mightily in our midst tonight. Please be with all of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. I wonder what the first thing is that comes into your mind when you hear the word evangelism. Is it Christ and His redemptive labors? Is it biblical preaching? Is it hell-bound, image-bearing creatures? This might... Uh, say a lot about my lack of spirituality, but the, the first thing that, that comes into my mind is the fear of man. Man-fearing. It might seem like a strange response to the word evangelism, but if you were to look inside the soul of Nick Thompson, you would find him regularly crippled in his evangelistic efforts because of a man-word fear. And I don't think that I'm alone. Max Stiles writes that the fear of man is the number one roadblock to evangelism. Nothing hinders us from evangelism quite like this sin, the fear of man. And 
It is this theme of, of man-fearing as the great foe of evangelism that I want to examine with you tonight. And I, I want to do so from Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Here in these first two chapters of Galatians, Paul mounts an argument for the divine origin of his apostolic ministry and message. His calling and his gospel were not from men, but from God. Paul proves this by way of autobiography. He, he begins with his life as an unconverted Jew and then traces different key events subsequent to his conversion. And, and our passage here tonight, verses 11 through 14, is the final piece of this autobiographical data which serves to conclude his defense. Paul's rebuke of Peter here evidences his authority as an apostle. But this passage also serves as a bridge to move to Paul's next argument concerning the contents of his message. This apostolic confrontation gets to the very heart of the gospel. And that is because for, for the Orthodox Jew, it was unthinkable to eat with Gentile pagans. Gentiles were believed to be unclean in their persons and in their diets. But in Christ, the dividing wall of separation between Jews and Greeks had been broken down. The two had become one through the gospel. And Peter was well acquainted with this fact. And thus, it was a regular practice for him as a converted Jew to, to eat and to fellowship with Gentiles. Peter's gospel conduct, however, was quickly subverted by fear. Look at verse 12. For before certain men came from James... He was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing, fearing the circumcision party. Though Paul's main point here is, is not to, to focus on Peter's fear. I think that there is a lot that, that we can learn from it. And I, I want to look at it tonight. I want to look specifically at the psychology of this fear, the potential of this fear, and the product of this fear, and, and apply it to us as those called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. So no, notice first, it's psychology. And, and by this I mean, what is going on in Peter's mind that would cause him to fear the circumcision party? What happens in the soul that is overcome by manward fear? Commentators speculate here about the precise focus of Peter's fear. Was it a fear of physical persecution? 
a fear of criticism or the loss of reputation, a fear of driving the Jews further from the gospel, we're simply not told. But all of these potential reasons have one thing in common. One common thing. And and that is a radical self-centeredness. If Peter feared physical persecution, it was fueled by self-preservation. If he feared criticism, it was fueled by self-promotion. If he feared these Jews being further hardened in their unbelief, it was fueled by a self-reliant form of, of wisdom, thinking himself wiser than God. Every potential reason that we could think of for Peter's fear here of these Jews was rooted in an obsession with self. Think about it. When it comes to evangelism, what is it that you fear? My fears are that I will be rejected, that I will destroy the relationship with the person to whom I am speaking, that I will be physically harmed, that I will communicate the message wrong, that I will not know how to respond to objections that might come up, that that I will manipulate someone into professing faith prematurely. Now, there's something that all of these fears have in common. It's that one-letter word, I. We tend to think of man-fearing as others-focused, but but in reality, the, the fear of man is the byproduct of our radical selfishness. We are obsessed with ourselves. I fear my reputation being marred. I fear others thinking hard thoughts of me. I fear my own safety being violated. I fear my blunders hindering God's work in the world. In other words, I fear people. I fear man in evangelism because I am a self-centered, self-preserving, self-promoting, self-reliant self. You see that? It's really important for us to understand because if we don't diagnose our sin properly, we won't know how to treat it. Notice second, the powerful potential that man-fearing has to lay hold upon each of us. If anyone was exempt from the possibility of man-fearing, it should have been Peter. He was a Christ-commissioned apostle. He was a witness of the risen Jesus and, and he had received a heavenly vision, you'll remember recorded in uh, Acts chapter 10, that had taught him not to call any person common or unclean. In Acts chapter 11, he was criticized for eating with Gentiles in obedience to this vision. 
But rather than cowering, we see Peter standing boldly for the gospel here. He was not moved by the criticism of the circumcision party. He was fearless. But now, the situation is altogether otherwise. Now Peter is groveling at the feet of these same critics. Though he had regularly eaten with the Gentiles in accord with the gospel he proclaimed, he now found himself drawing back in fear. And friends, we have the same potential to be man-fearers. And I think it's safe to say that we don't just have the potential to fear man, but all of us actually struggle in one degree or another with this self-serving sin. The English Puritan William Perkins referred to the Christian soul as a mixture of fears. In the redeemed, he says, the fear of God is joined with the corrupt fear of man. And in this mixture, sometimes the one prevails and sometimes the other. Because of our remaining corruption, we find a war raging within our souls between these two fears. Sometimes the fear of God wins the day. Other times the fear of man. One day we might have great boldness in proclaiming the gospel, and the next day we might find ourselves recoiling in fear. Surely, if you're a Christian here tonight, you you have experienced this inner tension, this inner war between fleshly man-fearing and spirit-wrought God-fearing. We all have the potential to fear man. And this brings us third to the the product or the result of such man-fearing. We see that Peter's fear led to hypocrisy. Look at verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, Peter, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. This word hypocrisy was used in the Greek theater, uh, meaning to play a part or to play act. Peter's fear here caused him to put on a mask and to play a part, to to become something that, that he really was not. We often call this pretense, making something appear to be true that is not true. Paul explains in verse 14 that Peter's conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Peter was not verbally denying the doctrine of God's gracious gospel in Christ, but rather was living contrary to the truths which he professed to believe. 
by cutting off fellowship with these Gentile believers. He was denying the truth that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And he was doing this because of fear. He feared the circumcision party. Have you ever found yourself entangled in such hypocrisy? You check your biblical convictions at the door and pretend to be something that you're not. You play act, you put on a mask. This can manifest itself in thousands of different ways in our daily walk. And as I was preparing, there, there was one particular scene that was etched in, in my own memory. At, at the butcher shop that I used to work at, we, we had an employee who was moving, and on her last day, I was saying goodbye to her and was, was struggling to know exactly what, what to say. Um, in, in our culture, it's, it's rather normal. I don't know if it's the, the same in, in Canada. Um, but but here, here in America, it's, it's rather normal to say, good luck. Good luck. I wish you luck. Whatever that, that means. And uh, so I'm, I'm standing there and, and thinking, what, what am I going to say, say to this woman? And, and I think, I don't believe in luck. And yet, as I considered in the moment what to say, every other option that was distinctly Christian sounded awkward. So I quickly just said, good luck to you, Julia. Good luck. But I don't believe in luck. I'm a Calvinist. I don't, I don't have a compartment in my brain to even process what luck is. And yet, for a moment, I set aside my Christian convictions. Out of a desire to be normal, I played the hypocrite. Now, you may be thinking, Nick, that's, that's a real small thing. But it's, it's not. It is not a small thing when you or I speak contrary to or live contrary to what we believe. We see such hypocrisy in Peter. And if we give the fear of man a foothold in our souls, it will manifest itself in us as well. And such hypocrisy is lethal. It is lethal to evangelism. It will keep us silent when we should speak. It will cause us to water down the message of sin in Adam and salvation in Christ out of a fear of offending Rather than joyously bringing people to see the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ, it will cause us to be conformed to the pattern of this world. 
man-fearing will lead us to put a mask on and by our words or our deeds contradict the wonderful, glorious gospel that God has called us to proclaim. What our souls need, friends, are souls that are so prone to man-fearing, so prone to hypocrisy. What, What our souls need is to grow in the fear of God. Nothing Nothing will will drive out the fear of man like growing in your knowing of the triune God. Think about it. Knowing God in Christ delivers us, delivers us from self-promotion by igniting within us a passion for God's name and God's reputation rather than our own. Knowing God in Christ frees us from self-preservation by enabling us to sacrificially give of ourselves for the sake of another's eternal welfare. Knowing God in Christ liberates us from self-reliance by humbling us in the face of Him who alone can save sinners. When our souls are governed by this reverential fear of God, we will no longer be dominated by the fear of man. So let me ask you, are are you growing in? and, And are you pursuing a living, vibrant, saving knowledge of God? When you hear the word evangelism, does your attention turn to yourself or does it turn to God? Are you living for His smile? Are you zealous for His glory? Are you depending upon His power? Are you growing in the fear of God? Peter teaches us the havoc that man-fearing wreaks on the church's gospel witness. This self-serving foe of evangelism must be warred against out of love for God and our fellow man. May God give us the grace to do that. Let's pray. Oh, great God, What a privilege it is that you have not only saved us through the proclamation of the gospel, you have not only called us into the fellowship of your Son through your word, but but now having saved us, you have entrusted us with this gospel and called us to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We confess, Lord, that we are often fearful and timid. We are often so radically self-focused and consumed with no one and nothing but me, myself, and I. We pray, O God, that You would deliver us from this sin of man-fearing and that You would grow us in the fear of God. 
Father, we pray that as we would embark upon this week, that you would ignite within us a new and a fresh passion for evangelism, a passion for the lost, a passion for your glory being spread abroad to the four corners of this world. Please continue with us tonight and be at work in our souls, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.